0: hi this is marlene with miami ghost chronicles and i want to welcome you to another episode of stories of the supernatural whether you're watching a video or listening to a podcast please like and subscribe to us so that you can get notification of when a new show is released links to videos or mp3 files can be found on miamighostchronicles.com go to marlenepardo.com for information on new book releases i narrate several podcast series that can be found on major podcast platforms and can also be listened to via Alexa, Sonas and other home systems. Look for Supernatural Storytime for scary storytelling, Nightshade Diary for classic horror and adventure stories, Stories of the Supernatural for interviews with different guests on the show. If you want to get noteworthy news about the paranormal world, true crime conspiracy stories, and anything that is just plain weird, just visit Stranger Than Fiction Stories tab at MiamiGhostChronicles.com or find us on Blogspot. I want to thank you for being part of my audience. And I think you are all wonderful. Hi, everybody. This is Marlene with Miami Ghost Chronicles, Stories of the Supernatural. And um, I've been asked uh, if through any of the years of my paranormal investigation, I ran across any cryptids like Bigfoot, Dogman, etc. And the answer is yes. And, you know, I've I've gotten quite a few requests to retell some of these stories, but I'm going to start with my own personal brush with something unknown. It could have been anything, but let's start at the beginning. June 1984, and my husband and me, we bought a new little Chevy van. And we decided to break it in by taking a trip to, up to Yellowstone National Park. And, of course, with us we took our six-month-old daughter, Adrienne. Uh, I had research camping out in Yellowstone, and because of the cautions regarding uh, attracting bears, uh, we decided to rent a cabin out in the Old Faithful part of the park. And on the trip over there, we are going to wing it by sleeping in the van since it had a seat in the back, which converted into a bed. And hey, when you're in your early 20s, wing it on the road trip is the best part of it. But anyway, we had just come through Kansas, uh, heading west, and that was a long, long state to go through. And even though we had originally agreed to find uh, a spot to camp at around sundown, we changed our mind and agreed to stop once we crossed into Colorado. It was like, we're not stopping until we're out of Kansas. And this is just exactly what we did. Uh, We rolled into a privately owned campground and uh, asked for a tent site. And this place, this was right over the state line into Colorado. It was a middle of nowhere, and we were f- far, far from Denver. Uh, now, this place that we stayed out, it was like a small mom-and-pop family-owned campground, and it was pretty lonely. It was, I remember, even though we got there after dark, um, I don't remember, this was kind of a few years, but I, I don't remember that it was just full of tourists or anything like that. Um, we went. I remember it was like the first week in June. I don't know if it was because school hadn't let out there or there was just not that many uh, vacationers. So we asked for a tent site. And after eating some food we picked up in a drive-through, I fed our daughter and she fell asleep and we weren't far behind. This is incredible how tired you get just from driving. And the temperature was pleasant and I felt sorry for my husband and i let him have the sofa bed in the back since he'd been driving all day and my daughter slept next to him and i took a a roll-up bed with a sleeping bag that we had brought along just in case and we i just stretched out outside of the van door which i slid forward almost closing it completely and uh, i relaxed It, it was nice um i remember looking up and the whole campground was pretty wooded except of course the the sites for the, for tents, if you weren't going to pitch a tent, but there was nobody around us. I remember there was, you know, how sometimes you have like a, you know, you could see uh, maybe that there's somebody staying on either side of you or in front of you. There was nobody out there. And as I lay there, I heard the little forest noises that you get at nightfall. And I was sure that a couple of raccoons were checking us out, but I had made sure that all the food packaging from the drive through, everything was packed away in the plastic bag, inside the van. Bottom line, uh, I drifted away to sleep and I don't know how much time passed but suddenly I was awake, like fully awake. And I just lay still and I kept listening because the first thing that came to my mind was if my daughter had started crying or she had woken up. But there was nothing. And I know that uh, she wasn't due to wake up yet for feeding. So I just, no, no crying, no nothing, no, my husband, nothing. There was no sound. And that's when I noticed how quiet it had become, like too quiet. And it, But it wasn't like a peaceful silence. And I know there's people out there that will understand when I say that there's a quiet as in, This place was not close to a highway and, you know, you don't get the ambient noises of cars or sirens or anything or even at this point, what we're talking about, like I said, night noises, uh, frogs, crickets, raccoons, maybe an owl. All of a sudden there there was nothing. And then I realized that my heart was beating really hardly, like, you know, like... And I just, I remember lying there like, why did I wake up? And I'm like, like if I had run and uh, still no noise. And then I got this feeling that someone was watching me, which is really difficult to come to grips with because I knew we were in this campground that nobody was around us and there was, who's gonna be watching us? And in other words, the feeling was that somebody was watching me intensely Um, and then i i remember i was like trying to lie still i'm swiveling my eyes around and my head and i cocked it to one side and i felt it was coming from an area across the clearing of the tent site and between me and that area there was a, the wooden picnic table that you see in uh in most uh campground tent sites and i even asked myself did i have a nightmare that i couldn't remember but which woke me up and that's why my heart was beating so hard which was would have been very unusual number one i seldom had nightmares and when i did i remembered exactly what it was about like most people because you wake up with that nightmare freshly playing out in your head and i was like oh. <laughs> thinking okay ah you know then i think that All of this uh, internal dialogue I had going on in my head went quiet because then I heard a rustle of leaves and the crack of small branches. And I could tell it was something big. In other words, this was not a raccoon or a possum or anything of like this small animal type of thing. And I knew from what the campground person had told us when we were checking in that there were no large animals like moose bear panthers in the area this was not an area that it was like hey because it's really funny because fresh on my research that i'd done for going to yellowstone you know that they warned campers about you know if you leave food out and you're gonna attract animals i was kind of a little bit like i don't want to use the word paranoid but i made sure i remember asking hey is there anything out here that you know because And they said, no, there's nothing out here. Just raccoons and all stuff like, like, don't worry about it. There's nothing out here. But even so, I knew that the noise I heard was something heavy, something heavy, which could make leaves rustle like that and the crack of branches on the ground. And then I thought of another human being. And I was thinking, what if someone was going to try to rob and kill us? And I I remember like my mouth going like completely dry, like, okay, what do I do? And then I hear more crackle and snap from the wooded area. And I was getting ready to bolt. And we did have a gun, but it was a 357 magnet, which was the glove compartment of the van, of course. Which is when you're in that situation, is like okay, I have to go to the moon to get this. In other words, when you feel that intense, undivided attention from something, someone, well, at that point, I'm thinking someone. uh, It's like, okay, that's really far away. And I thought of calling my husband, but I knew, number one, he was a real heavy sleeper. And but I knew that if I called him, especially he would roll out of bed, he would just come charging out, probably bang his head on the on the roof of the van, leave my daughter, which was six months old. She might roll off. I mean, in milliseconds, I played out all these scenarios. And then I saw something move from behind a large tree. Now, remember, I was. I mean, I was lying down and this rollout bed was kind of like lowered to the ground. And I was lying on top of it with the sleeping bag on top of me. And I saw something move from behind a large tree. Like a silhouette, like, in other words, you could see a silhouette of trees, of the thicker trees. That's exactly the moment I realized that it wasn't a person. Because I remember my eyes followed the silhouette up like they had moved. And I guess at that, that point that where it stopped, in other words, and the silhouette of the trunk of the tree resume was about, I guess it about eight feet, seven feet, eight feet. I, all I knew was that there was no one that was that tall. And right about then, and I can't, I couldn't say right now if, if I started feeling this way because I was just plain scared. Or because my subconscious mind was picking up on a lot of cues, but I felt that I needed to get inside the van right away. So I slowly and, qu- and, and and at that point also, I'm thinking if I call my husband, you know, are we gonna put us in more danger, my daughter? So I slowly and quietly I got up from the bed and I never lost sight of the silhouette. I kept looking at it. I left my shoes on the ground right next to that bed, and I remember like moving backwards and i slid the van door it was one of those you know the van doors that slide back and forth on the on the rollers and i slid the van door backwards i mean it wasn't totally closed i got in and i shut it and i locked it and my husband i he murmured something about like why was i coming in and i told him that the temperatures had dropped a lot which was the truth and that it was too cold so it was like and and he fell right back asleep and i very slowly went over into the driver's seat made sure all the locks were on and i put up the windows um, um i just left like very small openings for the windows and i slipped the gun out of the glove compartment and from where i sat I, had, I, I couldn't see the spot where I had seen that dark, tar, tall silhouette I could, from my vantage point. Once I was in the driver's seat, I couldn't see there. It was just one of those things. And I kept looking all around me because, you know, through the windshield, and I didn't see any other movement around the van or any other noise. And my intentions at that point, you know, I, I moved the seat back a little bit, and I remember I put the the gun, there was this console in, right below the, you know, the dashboard of the van. And I remember putting it there. And um, despite my intentions of not falling asleep, I did. And I woke up real early in the morning when my daughter started crying. She, you know, she was hungry and everything. And I remember after that, I still didn't tell anything to my husband because I knew he was gonna be really upset because I didn't wake him up. And we went and we took showers, over went camp bathrooms, all of us together. I was like, no, let's all go together. And he's like, okay, yeah. And, um, I said, yeah, because, you know, uh, one of his got to hold the baby and then, you know, or, or when I'll take a shower, I'll hand her to you and one of those deals. And it was only when we were on the road again, that I tell him what happened. And he got, of course, as expected, he got upset, but because I didn't wake him up and blah, blah, blah. And at the same time, I think he thought that I had gotten spooked by a raccoon and he was more concerned thinking it was a human being trying to get to us. But I know what I saw. And whatever it was, it was tall and heavy. And I never, um, and I I could never say for sure what it was that stood there. I just know that there's no human being, there's no other animal that would um, basically fit that height. So. Was it Bigfoot? Was it a dog man? Was it a really tall guy? A really tall (laughs) wanderer in the woods? I don't know. But I'm going to leave that in in the category of unknown. But as a little after that, which I think is really funny, like, you know, when things happen, sometimes the weird stuff follows you around. Anyway, we kept on going, of course, to Yellowstone, and we were going in through the south entrance to the park. We went through Colorado and then we moved up north, northward to go in through the south entrance. And I remember just before we got into the park, um, and I don't remember if it was the, the Grand Teton National Park or Yellowstone, we, we stopped and there was like this little roadside, uh, I wanna say like a little store and it sold souvenirs and things like that. And we walk in there and you know, you, you, know, you start talking really nice people. And they're asking, oh, and we're like, oh, we're from Florida, and you know, it's our first visit, and we got into the subject about the bears, and and I told, oh, we're going to stay in a cabin, and she goes, well, yeah, I know they, they're not supposed to have, but every tu- every summer there's always a couple of tourists that end up getting mauled or hurt, because even though they fly the bears out of there, they always wander back, so that's why they're really insistent on. these rules when you're camping out there so and of course we're like okay and we kept going and at this point i remember it was still there was snow on the ground it was june but there was still snow banks on either side of that road going into the park uh i mean a lot of snow there was it was like i could tell that maybe a couple of weeks ago probably it would have been impassable to get into the park bottom line we get there and we check in We, we get our little cabin and we had bought this carrier for my daughter that my husband strapped to his back. And we're like walking around and, you know, we're like, you know, we're all struck by the buffaloes and by the elk. And uh, there was these boardwalks where these, I don't, know, I don't want to say they're gophers or something. Anyway, and of course, none of these animals are scared of humans because they get fed. They're just, they have no fear whatsoever, human beings. And I remember we, there was a lookout tower and it was a, you, you know, if you look through the woods, you can see this lookout tower and there was this narrow trail that would lead to it. So we're like, Oh, let's, let's go and look up. Let's walk over there to that lookout tower and we'll, we'll see. If it'll be a nice scenery. And I remember we, this, by this time it was like mid afternoon, one, two, three PM, something like that. And I remember we're going down and I'm walking in front of my husband. And I'm looking in front of me and I see what looks like reddish brown fur, fur or hair shaking. Like it's, it's, it's like, how can I explain it? The trail was kind of a little bit shadow, but at the same time there was sunlight, and I see this sunlight coming down on this fur that's shaking, the equivalent to like when an animal is like either scratching itself, but it was like really t- whatever it was, it was a huge animal. And it was that the the fur was stuck out. It wasn't like close to the skin per se. And I remember stopping that. My husband almost ran into me and he's like, what's wrong? And I said, I, could, I thought, I assumed that it was a bear, okay? And I told him we need to get out of here because here, you know, not only were we, we had my daughter strapped onto his back. And I remember he looked at me and we looked at him. And we just like left. And I was thinking, my God, I can't believe that. Like a few days into this trip, I'm having weird encounters in the campground. And then I'm seeing something with reddish-brown hair that's huge. Uh, right after, I'm like, only after hours of getting into Yellowstone. What it was, was it a bear? I'm thinking it had to be a bear. But to be honest with you, I, it was so far down that trail that all I could see was the the sunlight on the reddish. It was like a reddish, but really rich reddish-brown fur hair, whatever, sticking up. And we, you know, we, we backtrack and we got out of there and, you know, and, um, it was like, it was a very unusual experience. And it was like, okay, enough of the weird stuff. (laughs) But anyway, let's get on to the other story. This is that that's been my own only personal one-on-one weird encounter with a cryptid. And even then that you know, there's a question mark as to what kind of cryptid now, um, you know, through all my years you know, since I started doing the paranormal investigations in the 90's and everything, I would have a lot of people uh, email me, you know, their encounters or what I thought about this, what I thought about that. and sometimes sometimes people just wanted to share stuff that had happened to them. And when I to be perfectly honest with you, when I received this story, I was like, huh, this <clears throat> this guy. He, I think this was a couple of years after it happened was when he wrote me the email. And I wanna say I got this like in the early 2000s, around that time. And he's telling me the story of how, I think he lived in a very rural, I can't remember right now state there was, but it was in a rural area. And he made a, in this, Story of in the email, he says how he had that weekend he had gone hunting with his uh, I don't i want to say it was his father, a group of people, relatives, and that some very unusual things had happened. But this is where it gets weird. He says that the next day, which is well, after the weekend, which is a Monday, I think he was 13 or 14 at that time, and he would come home from school and he would be the first one home. And he's, the email, he's saying how he gets home, excuse me, and he, you know, his his house, if I remember correctly in the email was very like remote. In other words, this wasn't like a regular residential neighborhood where you've got neighbors close by or you've got, you know, yards that are adjacent and that he goes in and he, all of a sudden, he's like walking towards the back of the house, which is where the kitchen's at, typical teenage stuff that people do when you get home from school. And he says he heard like somebody was upstairs, like a step or something, like he heard some type of noise. And apparently he was, the norm for him was that he was the first one. He he would get home before his parents, before any other other family members. And... The way he described it was the he had stairs that um, uh, were facing backwards. In other words, they weren't facing the front of the house, they were facing backwards. Then they would come to a landing and then they would turn and go up again. And then at the very top was like a long hallway with the bedrooms on either side. So he said that he called out a couple of times, but he was kind of weirded out, but he was like, all right, I'm going upstairs. And he came up, and then he gets to that landing where it turns, and it heads in the other direction to head straight up, and he says that as he's coming up, he hears a growl. And that this was about the time where if he he was... Even though he was at the top of the steps, he could look up and see down the hallway. What was in front of him because this stairway emptied out into the beginning of the hallway. And he described, he says that there was, this is how he said, it, like a werewolf in the hallway of the upstairs of his house and that he says that he just like bolt, bolted over the landing that he was at and he ran out. And I think he went to a neighbor's house or somewhere. He just says he ran out. And then, in, because like I said, he wrote this to me, like I want to say a couple of years after it happened, He then he goes and he starts telling me how, you know, when I'm reading this, I'm like a werewolf, what? but it was very intriguing because it was it was um he was very accurate about his description and that then he then he goes into the story that during that weekend when he had gone out hunting with his father and I guess some other people that something had happened to them where apparently they were going out to for nighttime hunting they were hunting something at night or and i don't know if but uh but some of them had stayed behind at the you know at the campsite or i guess where and that all of a sudden the guys that were out hunting they come back and they just said like in other words he says they they broke down the camp the campsite or whatever they the where they were like he says in 30 minutes and all he said was that his dad just told him shut up And do what I tell you, pick up your stuff and throw it in the bed of the truck, you know? And he says that these guys that were there, I guess they were friends of his father. He knew them. He was familiar with them. And he says that these were very no-nonsense type of guys, very, very familiar with the outdoors. They were woodsmen, hunters. And he says, and I could tell they were scared. And it was like, I kind of got scared because they were scared. I didn't know what they were scared of, but I got scared. You know, this was the, 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 implications of what he's writing that like nobody wanted to tell him exactly because it was like, just get in. And because they had a, I think they had come like in a couple of trucks. And he says, they left, he says they left in the middle of the night, you know, they were they had already had all these plans to go hunting and this and that. And they just left. And then he, um, apparently. What, and, and from what he said, he goes, at that point, my dad didn't want to talk about it. My dad, you know, when I asked him, like, what, do you, what happened? You know, like, why did we leave? His dad was like, oh, let's not talk about that. And what had prompted him to send me that email was that it took that long for his father to finally tell him why they had decided to leave the way they did that night. And it turned out that one of the guys, well, I think it was one and then the other one said they saw something that looked like a big giant wolf and how was and he said that well, a wolf like you know, like he's thinking of the regular like a wolf, like, okay, well, why didn't you shoot it? <laughs> or you know, typical but his father explained to him that it was something like a man and a wolf and that it scared them so badly that they just they in and if i remember correctly part of it was that i think there was either either they had come across it eating a deer carcass something like that something like that where they, and there was more than one, they, they, bottom line, those guys just came back and said, we're getting out of here now. Remember back at the time period that he's describing, this was, you know, before the time that, you know, people have cellular phones and you can call each other, you if it works. And, and basically his father, and he says that he asked his dad, like, you know, you believe, you know, like, like it sounded so fantastic. I was like, do you believe that that's what they saw? And he said, his father told him, if these guys said they saw this, they saw this. And he says, I remember that we never, ever, ever went back hunting in that area or camping or anything. And his father said, because his father, he said, I could tell my father had a hard time believing it. He couldn't help but believe it. But at the same time, he felt uncomfortable with that truth which is why he hadn't wanted to talk to him about it and um, at that time this is when when he had that encounter when he saw that thing up in the hallway he says he never told anybody it just wigged him out so much the only thing was that after that he refused to be at the house uh, before anybody else and he says that he started getting, uh, going to, I think it was a grandparent. One of his grandparents lived close by, and he would just go over there and then go home. And that's exactly how he, you know, but he never told anybody. And then that's at that point when his father, they had that conversation was when he tells his dad what had happened that Monday after they had come back from that hunting trip and his dad was kind of upset like why didn't you tell me this and you know he was like well for the same reason you didn't tell me the truth of why we left for the hunting you know that hunting trip in the middle of everything and then his father told him well you know there was a time right after that that there was some people around here that were missing animals some cattle and stuff like that and we were starting to worry about that, but then it just stopped. It like faded away. It happened for like about five or six weeks afterwards. And I remember when I read this story, I was like, wow, that's a way out story, you know? And then later on now, um, lately, when I mean lately as in recent years, as that you hear some of these dogman stories of people describing where they've had an encounter with a dog man out in the middle of nowhere and somehow or other this thing tracks them down to where they live at. And I don't think he mentioned um, how far away they had gone hunting, but the impression I got was that it was not far away. It wasn't like, oh, we went to another state to go hunting because it was almost a place that they had gone to for the weekend and he was going to school that Monday. So it was very close driving distance from where his family lived at and like i said i put that that uh that email away and he never wrote anything else and i told him you know i mean at that point to be perfectly honest with you when he wrote that story about the only cryptid i could think of right off the bat that kind of fit the bill would have been a Bigfoot, but he was very very um specific about what he saw that it wasn't uh that it wasn't a Bigfoot because it was, he, he says that it, that it was only a few seconds, but he knew perfectly well what he had seen at that hallway upstairs of his house. Okay, that's one story. Then the another encounter that I was told about came about. Um, this was during the time that I was doing hypnotherapy. And even though I would do regular hypnotherapy as in, you know, stop smoking, you know, uh, weight control, I also did alternative areas of hypnosis, you know, uh, recovered memories, abductions, et cetera, et cetera. Anyway, there's a lot of people that would come to me that at the beginning, and I understand it, especially if they had no experience with hypnosis, were like very cautious. And then after they spoke to me and. We got along together and uh, they felt comfortable around me and I explained to them, you know, about the ethics and everything as far as confidentiality, et cetera, et cetera. One day I had a client who I had, uh, if I remember correctly, I think I treated her for um, weight, co- well, not per se weight control, but she had a, she had a problem with, like going to the gym, like, you know, the, the exercise thing. And she just wanted, you know, relaxation and to stay on course and all this, but we got along and she came back for other things. And one of the things that I would do was I would do these little 10 minute recordings for relaxation for my clients, because, you know, this would help tremendously because anxiety, a lot of their stuff was driven by anxiety, overeating, the smoking, et cetera. But anyway, getting back to the story, She contacts me. She says, I have a friend of the family who is going through some really, really anxious uh, moments. And he uh, overheard when I was saying that I was listening to that recording that you made for me and that I was listening to it every night before I went to sleep and that it was great because I was sleeping fantastic and blah, 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 blah. And that's how the conversation came up and um there's something going on with him and my family's known him for a while but he was an older gentleman uh, i want to say maybe he was in his late 50s 60s something like that at that time and this i don't know what's going on with him but i've always thought of him as a very calm person and he's like a nervous wreck and uh, he wants to know if you would talk to him over the phone because he's in another state I said sure, I'll talk to him, and I'm thinking, okay, you know, could be anything as far as, you know, what what's causing anxiety. Even though she's already telling me that this man is known for being kind of a calm person, not like one of these uh, that 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 goes around that that's nervous. He he wasn't uh, a nervous Nelly type of guy, and, you know, we agreed upon a time, and he would call me. And I think part of what convinced this man to call me was that she had told him that i was not because of the different types of i don't know because to be i I never really um when i was doing my hypnotherapy uh services i i never mentioned anything that i was doing the paranormal research i had been doing it for years it was like i left those two things distinct but i think she had told him that i was familiar with a lot of alternative things of hypnosis in other words that that I, whatever it was that was bothering him, that I wasn't going to be like, Ooh, what is that? Oh my God. So we, we scheduled a time and we called each other. Well, he called me. I remember he called me and we chatted a little bit and I could tell he was very cautious and kind of distrustful. But at the same time, I, you know, when I said, okay, what's going on, they're telling me that you're, you having a problem with anxiety, and he's like, "Yeah, now I'm having." He's describing how he's even having problems sleeping. I said, "Okay," and then we, you know, we I asked him all these questions: I said, Do you have a history of it? You know, you know what's what's going on? Like, what what's triggered this? He's like, basically, he's saying, "No, I don't have an anxious disposition. I don't. I have never suffered from anxiety." Uh, I said then, what is it? What is causing this to go happen to you? And I remember there was this long silence on the line. And finally, I could tell he was choosing his words at the beginning. Like, okay, before this lady hangs up on me, I said, go ahead. You know, you'd be surprised at all the things I've heard. You know, I've got a very open mind. But besides that, you know, I stressed again confidentiality, etc. So he tells me, okay, that he was a security guard now apparently his the company he'd worked for I think for like a few years already they specialized in doing security work for either construction sites or uh, people not so much the security like in stores or anything like that he was the company specialized like if uh, you had heavy equipment or something or something that was being left that or construction area that that's that they would do security for that. And uh, I said, okay. And he wouldn't tell me what state. I could tell that this man was still really like, kind of like, you know, it was like a first name basis. And he was, you could tell he was still very cautious. He was, I could tell his, his, his reality had been shaken up like profoundly. So I said, okay. And he starts telling me how he'd been working for this company for like a few years and he told me oh you know the the thing about this company is that most of the time that they um that they would go through personnel sometimes quickly because most of their work was either overnight hours and or weekends because this is the time that a lot of these locations needed to have the security guards on there there so he says that he had been there for a while and he had seen people come and go and he says that one day one of his managers or his bosses tells him hey i need you tomorrow it was like one of these i want you to go to this place and i need you to go over there and it was he described it was um it was a construction site but it was a brand new development of housing development and he says that it was like from what he described, it was a rural area, like outside of a town—not a really big city—but out of the town, like they had, were building, they were going to build this really large housing development area. But it was at the beginning, and um, they were just starting to get some houses up, and the, you know, they, you know, they, they were just, you know, they just needed him for that. But from one day to the next, they pulled him off his job and sent him over there, and uh, he said, "Sure." And the way he described it was when he went into the office, because the way he described it was he would leave his car at their offices and he would take a a car that the security company gave him to drive over to this location. And he says that when he goes in there and they have like a locker room, he runs into the guy that had been doing security out there. And I guess it had gotten around that he was going to be the one that was going to be going out there to do security so he says the guy looking at him like with this look on his face and he's looking at him he says that he he knew of the guy he they, they weren't friends like you know you work with somebody and you know each other but you really don't and uh he was like man, you know i wasn't going to ask him what happened because i thought maybe he'd gotten in trouble he'd fallen asleep you know something and that's why they were sending me out there and he says that right when he's about to leave that guy comes up to him and goes hey do you do you carry a gun with you because that's one of the things later on he explained to me was that the type of security that he did that they didn't carry a gun with them i think i want to I, I think that they had pepper spray or something but they didn't carry a gun and those of you that are familiar with with security work there's some type of security guards that are licensed to carry firearms but there's others that don't but he didn't and he uh he told the guy well yeah i have one at home but you know i don't and the the, the guy told him well if i were you I'd, I'd bring it with me to this job and he's like well you know like in other words they were not supposed to be bring a firearm to do their job because they were in trouble because they weren't contracted for hired with that capacity but he said that it was really weird and the guy just walked away and it, like like why are you telling me this so he said that uh that the way it was was that he would drive out there in the security car and that once in the site they had like a little shed and that they had uh, a golf cart, which is what they would drive out around in. And he says that all the streets were laid out under development. And he said on one end they had just started putting up some houses. There weren't any that were totally finished yet. In other words, there was no one living there. That way at the other end they still had some heavy equipment because they were knocking down some of the trees. But he says, that's one thing he said, it was totally wooded all around. And there was one street that led into the development and one street out. I mean, it was a very, going to be a very large development, but it was remote. And I guess the intent of the developer was eventually to build this huge, huge development. But at that point they had just started. So, what he was supposed to do was of course make sure that the heavy equipment on he says away was on the other end that they had behind some gates and that they were just starting to bring in some of the wirings and th- some of the houses that were still incomplete and also he explained to me goes "Oh, they they also want to make sure no kids go in there to do to tag or graffiti any of the of the walls and basically that's all he was supposed to do stay awake right around and just make sure nobody went out there to either vandalize it or steal anything. So he s- said that um, the first couple of days, he he wrote out and he says one time, he did remember that right after that one time, like in the middle of the night, uh, like uh, some kids, he says that they look like teenagers came in to the development it was he says I could see him easily because since there was this one main road to come into the development you know I could see like what were they doing out there in two in the morning but when they saw him they drove out and he said he had this little shed with the air conditioner and he would sit there for a while and then he would get in his golf cart and he would ride around and make sure that everything was fine that was his job and uh but they said that that when they saw him they they, they like turned around and left and he was like okay so he kept that in mind and he says that. Uh, no, it was it was pretty quiet out there, and nothing was happening. He says the biggest problem you think you would have is just staying awake, but he says that he was really used to it, and he says that uh, once or twice he was in the little guard shed or guard shack or whatever it is, and he says that the area where they had the heavy equipment was way, 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 way at the other end. Uh, it was apparently they had like an area that was fenced in, which is where they would leave some of the heavy equipment. And that a couple of times from where he was sitting at, he thought that he saw some movement over there. And his first thing of, of course, is he's thinking that these are these teenagers that somehow came in through the woods and they're over there fooling around. So he says he would get in his cart and zoom over there. Nothing and uh he says about a week after he was working there he says that before right before about a week was out he he runs uh he crossed paths with that guy that used to work that job before and the guy comes up to me and goes so how, how's everything going out there and he's like fine nothing no problem just one day some car full of teenagers came in when they saw me they turn around they left but besides that." And he says the guy looked at him with his face like expecting something, and he's like, "What's going on?" He goes, mm, "Okay, that's good, but don't forget that piece of advice I gave you." And he's like, uh, "Okay, like what? Why are you telling me this? I'm not gonna." And he's, and again, he's saying he's thinking what? He, this guy got scared because a car full of teenagers came in there trying to like what, do some stupid stuff, and he's like looking at him like, "Are you serious?" Like. What I'm gonna use a gun, and he's like, yeah, okay. And then the guy was—he says like, why is this guy being so mysterious? And he goes, yeah, you know what? You better not—you better not think that I'm full of shit. If I were you, I'd, I'd at least put that gun in in the in the trunk of the car. You know, nobody know, it needs to know that you've got it there, but you know that it's there if you need it. And he's like, but well, what am I gonna need it for? And I think from what he described, he had been doing this job for so many years, very similar uh job sites that he that he hadn't had a problem that he could understand like what's going on with this guy. So he says like right after, like about a day after he has this conversation with him, he says it was like one or two in the morning and he makes his round in the golf cart and he's going by the uh by the area of the houses that were partially built. And he says a couple of them. And if I remember correctly, I think he was saying that these were gonna be like the models or something like that, that that's the first ones that they were building or something. And they were like, um they were like, he says they were like, they had put them like on purpose, close to like the wooded area to make it look all very nice and everything. And he says that he, goes by there and one time he's sitting there and he hears what he it sounds like somebody walking because he says that, that all around those construction the construction site it was like the houses where it was gravelly as in rocks and for a minute he thinks he hears footsteps on gravel coming from behind but he says it's really weird that when these houses are under construction or halfway up that that the sound will echo or that it's really hard sometimes to pinpoint exactly where the noise is coming from so he's like wow what is that and of course to him he's always coming back to oh I've got some teenagers coming in here and they left their car out by the main road and they're walking in here something like that so And I mean, he says, ah, you know, I had seen, you know, when you're out there, you see like little animals and cats and, you know, he says, I've chased off stray dogs and, you know, stuff like that. But nothing that he says that it sounded like the steps, like somebody stepping around. So he's thinking, ah, and he says he went in there with his flashlight and he says that the only thing that happened, though, was that all of a sudden he had gone into this house where they had just started to erect the second floor above him and he... He says that he went out there and he walked out towards the back of the house, which had no, like the the openings for the doors and windows were just openings. And that this part faced into the wooded area and that all of a sudden, this really bad smell came to him. Like, and he says, man, it was horrible. And his first thought was that some animal had died like right out in that wooded area behind. And he's like, man, he goes, man, they're in for a big surprise if they buy this house. You know, Because he's thinking, yeah, look, it looks very scenic because it's kind of in the woods, but the flip side of this is you might have animals dying on your doorstep. Because he says the smell was like, you know, really overpowering. And he says that the the, the thing with the smell, kind of like, he just forgot totally about the sound of the gravel and he just like left. And um, everything was, five for a couple of days, but he says that every once in a while he would still have that. That he would be sitting over there and he would see some type of movement around the big equipment on the way on the other side of this area, which again, all that's laid out there are just the roadways. Because that's the first thing they do in these developments is that they lay out the roads and everything else is empty. And he would drive out nothing and he's like man and it happened once too often where it started to make him uneasy because it was like okay a couple of times maybe but and apparently they had one of those big posts with the lights on out there which has caused a little bit of shadow and he would never find anything out there and then he and I could tell this is when he got to this part of the story that he's telling me he like slowed down a little bit and he's like well and then one day you know I'm going out there and I start getting this you know, I'm driving around and he says this little golf cart doesn't really make any noise or anything. And he hears something like brush breaking through the wooded, the wooded area, like very heavily. And again, he smells that really, really bad smell. And I don't know if he was just down one from it, but he says like one minute, it was nothing. And then it's just like, he hears this crackling coming from the wooded area and he that smell just like and he's like okay if there was something dead you know I would have smelled it from the first time that I came over here and he says that he just like something weirded him out and he just went back to the shed and then the next day he kind of talked to himself like oh you know you're going you know your your, your imagination's running away with you you know something smells bad and it could have been anything it could have been You know, a raccoon or any nighttime animal just crackling through there. And he, but he says that after that, he couldn't shake this feeling that every time he would go in the golf cart around these partially built houses, he would get like a very, he started getting nervous. He started getting this really bad feeling that either he was being watched or something. And he says, this was very unlike me. And I was mad because I was thinking I was letting my imagination run away with me and I had done this job for so long and I was used to being alone. I was used to working at night. I was used to working in places like that. There was nobody out there. He says, I had never had this, but I couldn't. In other words, he was having these internal arguments with himself like I'm scared and I don't know why I'm scared and I'm wigged out. And I know there's nothing out here, but like his instincts were telling him. And then one day he was um, he was at one of these houses and he says the only thing he had on him was a flashlight and that he had heard some noises in one of the houses and he what he did was he, he I think that he tried to convince himself this is these these are kids they're screwing around with me they're trying to wig me out and what he did was he left his little golf cart like at the beginning of the street and then he went on foot and he went into one of the houses and again like these houses a lot of them didn't have the doors in yet or anything like that and um i think he was thinking i'm going to sneak up on whoever is trying to wig me out or you know whatever maybe they're they're looking to see when they bring in any appliances or anything that's worth stealing and he says he has that he hears that he's in one of the houses and again he hears that uh pave you know footstep on the gravel kind of thing but he says that it all of a sudden it sounds like 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 rapid like running and he's like aha so he says that it almost like it went into this other house that was a little bit away like the neighboring yard but he says there were these were like pretty large lots that each house was going to be on so he on purpose had left the lights on and his and his little golf cart which was parked further down the road like okay if they're thinking i'm sitting on the cart i'm gonna i'm gonna surprise them and uh he says that by then as a matter of he even said at some point i was even getting mad at this guy because this thing that he had told me about bringing my gun i started think this is this is weirding me out because he made that suggestion to me like and almost he was getting mad at this guy because, hey, you know what, if you hadn't made that stupid comment to me, I wouldn't let my imagination be running away the way it is. That's why he was trying to talk himself out of the way he felt. And he says that he went into the other house, and he says very quietly, and he says, uh, I went in through what would be a side door that was just an opening that would go into a garage. And he says the, that side door eventually when you went into that area that would eventually be a garage, there would be another doorway which he says would lead into a, the kitchen is from what he described it, which there was no kitchen. Like I said, this, would, this was under construction. So he's very slowly, he's going in there. And he still is smelling that bad smell. But at this point, he's convinced that if he finds who it is, this will that's it, that he will not have to be worried anymore about the noises or the feeling that he's being watched or any of that. And basically, he says that he creeps in and that all of a sudden, he says that the kitchen... Um, I guess it was like, he described like a kitchen area that would be like a large family or room area. There was this big opening where sliding glass doors would be eventually. And that there was already a cement slab where there would be like a large porch area, you know, outside of that sliding glass door. And beyond that, he says it was like a field. And he says that all of a sudden he saw because He says, I still he, in other words he had gone in through that garage door and he looked into that kitchen area and it gave him like a clear vantage point into that kitchen family room and the opening that led to this porch outside and he says that what he saw there was he said he says it was a wolf but it was standing on its hind legs. And I remember when he told me that I just there was like this silence and I I don't know if he was waiting for me to go what you're kidding, ha, 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 yeah, and I was like, okay, keep going, you know, that's what I told him keep going, and he says that, he, he says, he goes, I had been leaning against the wall, because he says that the area that he was in was like a step down, like in the garage area was a step down, and he says that he had been leaning against the wall, kind of to stay hidden, to looking through that opening into that kitchen area. And he says, I I just, all I thought was, thank God I'm leaning against this wall because he felt like his legs were gonna let out from under him Uh, when he saw this. And he said this thing was looking out at the fields, like that slope down from where the back of this yard would eventually be, and that all of a sudden, He says it was very tall and it was um, like, I don't want to say hairy, but he said it was, it was like, and and I remember him telling me, because this like was a while back. He said, this is, this, this, he says, this is, was, this is like Lon, this was not Wolfman, like Lon Chaney, Wolfman, like a man that looks like a wolf. He said it was like a wolf, a large wolf with some type of, he says that because the lighting was monochrome he couldn't tell really what color but it was like dark coat and that it had long arms and was very wide across the shoulders and chest and that i think what got him of course was that it was standing on two legs and he says that all of a sudden it just looked over its shoulder right at him in his eyes he was like and then that all of a sudden it just like jumped off and just went off into the fields beyond and he says that he just he says i just stood there like leaning against the wall because i he says i i didn't know what to do and he says that he stood there for a while and he couldn't make up his mind if it was safer to stay in there or safer to go back to his golf cart but um eventually he just went back and he went back to the golf cart and he says that he went back to that little security guard shed and he says he didn't come out for the rest of the night uh, or anything like that he stayed in there and that he had to take like the next three days off because he just didn't know how to handle it he didn't he didn't want to tell anybody he didn't know what to do he couldn't sleep. He says he had like a like a miniature nervous breakdown. And um he after like the third day, he says that he had called out. He realized that, you know, I I want to keep this job. I I gotta ask them to reassign me somewhere else because I'm not gonna go back there. I'm not gonna go back or work over there. So um, they, I think they gave him some from what he told me since that he had been with that company for so many years when he said look I just don't he says that the manager the person that you know I guess a supervisor said uh, what's going on like I uh, told him look I just you know I don't want to I, I just I just don't want to you know I want to go back to the other spot that you had for me and blah 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 And he says that that supervisor gave him like a real thoughtful look in his eyes. And he says, he didn't tell me anything and I didn't say anything. But I think that he knew something of what was going on either because the guy that had been there before had a conversation with him or he'd heard something else. But he looked at me and I looked at him and he knew something. He probably even knew something more and he just, he says, and you know, and they, the next day they put me back at the spot I had before, but he said that even after he had gone back, he couldn't sleep. He was having, he was a nervous wreck. He says he had a really hard time sleeping. Um, he says he had never been like, he he says, I'm, I haven't really been like a, an outdoorsman, but uh, he says he was having problems being outside the house after sundown, his, where he lived at. And he says he lived like in a, it wasn't like a heavily but it was like a regular um area of residential you know not heavily populated but nothing that had ever worried him before and he he said he would he would be everything would be fine but there was a part of him which was looking at whatever time the sun was going down and the he said that he didn't have a problem going to work where he was at because this place that site that he had been working it was heavily populated and it, it, more than anything it wasn't a, a development it was where they were just having some heavy equipment that was being used for road construction and all they just wanted him to s- was to stay there he didn't even have to go right around or anything so but he says that he wouldn't go outside his house at night he and he was he, this this guy had a very very difficult time understanding what he had seen and this clash of reality with his his reality that he had up to that moment was wearing him down to the nub so i said you know um despite what you may think, I do believe you because you sound like a very rational person. I don't know what it is. I don't know what to... And again, this was before I had ever heard of Dogmen or anything like that. And I even asked him, I said, look, I know this might sound like a a stupid question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. I said, is there possible that was anybody wearing a costume? And he said, no. He says, look, if you don't think I thought that in those... Milliseconds after I saw this, I thought this. I asked myself the same thing. And he says, "There's no way. It was too tall. It was too big. It was." He says, "The way it moved, there was no costume that was that would have been like that." He he says, "I he says, I if 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 there was anything." And again, this was you know around the time that a lot of the computer stuff that you see in Hollywood was coming out. It was like there's no costume that would allow this this what would it be doing in uh the housing development in the middle of nowhere and then he says the way it moved and just leapt off and just went into the fields like he says no there's no way that this could have been anything but what it was and i think that part of his Besides the obvious of seeing something that up to that point he thought just never existed was, well, if this exists, what else is there out there that I'm thinking doesn't exist and does? Like, in other words, it just opened this whole realm of possibilities, scary possibilities that he couldn't deal with. And, uh, you know, I gave him, I, I, I did a, you know, I recorded something for him and we worked on it and... Um, it turned out that, you know, we talked a couple of times and he, apparently he had not told anybody what it was. I was the only person he had told this to. And because he even told me that the person that had referred him, he had been really, really (laughs) vague. Basically this person only knew was that he was having a hard time sleeping and he was a nervous wreck, blah, 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 blah. And I said, well, this is, this stays between you and me. Don't worry about it. Uh, And he says, you don't understand how good it feels to be able to tell somebody this story without thinking, which he says, I was worried that they were going to think I was either insane or I was pulling a prank or uh, that was on drugs. (laughs) He says, "Um, "I," and then, you know, we eventually, you know, we got into you know, discussion of cryptids up to then and stuff like that. And I said, look, I, I don't have an answer for you. I don't know what this is. Uh, is this something natural? Is this something that comes from another place in time? I said, you know what, history uh, is loaded with instances of people or groups of people saying things that when we hear about it now, we're like, that's impossible and it's still, it's there. And then the, the you know whatever sighted is seen sometimes for a period of time, then it stops, and then there's other times that it's seen in different parts of the country, and I said, but if you're looking for a definitive answer as to what it was, how you saw it, I can't give it to you. I said, but you've got to keep on living your life, and the most important thing, which really what this guy needed to come down and be. He was, if he he slept, he was sleeping very, very lightly. He wouldn't go down into REM sleep, which meant his brain was exhausted. Uh, He wasn't going into REM sleep. He was hypervigilant. He was listening, even though it was his house, he was listening for any little noise, uh, anything weird. If it was a shadow, he says he was like nervous, everything would make him jump. Um... So we worked on that, and that made a big difference for him. And we talked for a couple of months, and then eventually I guess he got on, and the communication like became more spread out, and it stopped eventually. And uh, I, I guess he got on with his life, but I could tell that he had been profoundly, profoundly affected by what he saw. And I hate to say it, but I don't think it was something that he would ever get over. And by this, I don't mean he would be a nervous wreck for the rest of his life. But there was, um, and I think this is one of the things that was disturbing him, which was, I can never go back to who I was before I saw this thing. There's no way to go back. I cannot not know what I saw. And I guess him having seen it firsthand. And I remember when I had that, I was like, this is way out there. And. I thought of people that had seen Bigfoot. And I remember I even asked, I even like said, like, could it have been Bigfoot? I mean, you know, I was like, uh, and he's like, no. He says, this was not like the Bigfoot, you know, which ha- the, the thing is that he, you know, Bigfoot has bled over so much into me, everybody, whether you're into Bigfoot or not, or cryptids, everybody has heard of, of what Bigfoots are supposed to look like. And he goes, no, he goes, this is not Bigfoot i would know i know he goes this was distinctly something that looked like it had come out of the most horrendous um and i want to say i think back then i think he made mention or i i don't remember if it was him or me made mention the only thing i could think of like what he was describing um was the howling the first ones you know something so tall and And that was like, and he goes, there's this was there, this was not like one thing mistaken for the other. And I think one of the things that eventually he had to learn how to live with that knowledge, which leaves a big question mark. And I'm going to get to the last story that I have to say because uh, that thing about him not being able to forget, one of the things that I would get. contacted for as a hypnotherapist was people wanting to remember things i had people contact me because they had put away money jewelry you name it somewhere and they couldn't remember where so they wanted me to hypnotize them so that they could remember i had other people call me because they would need uh memory retention for like test taking they would study but they would become so anxious uh because of their tests or sometimes because i had a lot of stuff writing on it that their minds the anxiety would make their minds go blank and they just you know they 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 weren't taking tests well. And by the way, contrary to what people believe, yeah, there's people that do have uh, severe problems with test taking, but I had clients that had not had not had problems, but they had a lot writing. And I'll give you for instance, one time, I had a gentleman who had been a nurse for many years in California, and they had offered there was a, there was a position. It's not only offered for him that. Um, if you, it was a program here in Florida where you moved down to Florida, they, you could upgrade to your next level of nursing. But it was one of those, like, go across the country. It was a program, and basically you would do the studies, and then part of the time you'd be working at the hospital, and then, but it was like a, a it, in other words, I believe that they had uh, sought out already people that were in the nursing field, and then they, they helped you move and there was, you know, they would help paying with the studies and then you would do the work. And, and, I, and it was something almost like you would get your studies paid for. Bottom line, he had come. He had been already at 15 years for a nurse. And he, I don't know if he he was the anxiety. He told me that he had left all his family, all everything he knew in California. And he was here and he was flunking out. He goes, I study." And he goes, I know what I'm doing because I studied before when I was becoming a nurse, but I'm going to take a test and I'm blanking out. There's nothing there and make a long story short, what we were working on was, you know, and I gave him a few techniques to help him recall because, you know, because the thing was that the anxiety of having flunked that was making it even worse. So, you know, eventually we worked on it and everything turned out good for him because he had a lot riding on that. But anyway, one day. I got contacted by somebody uh well there's two stories i'm trying to think which one to uh oh i'll go with this one he this person tells me uh he, it, you know we talked on the phone first and he says well can you make somebody forget something and I was like, oh that's a first i go no i go i can't make you forget it not really but what What normally when people want to forget something is that because the emotions that come up with the memory are really bad or anxious producing or whatever I said but what is it that you're trying to forget or what is it making you feel that you want to be hypnotized into forgetting and I said because the truth is once it's in your subconscious mind I said we can work on trying to separate with the feelings that it gives you the bad feelings from the memory in other words you know, how sometimes we have really bad events, but then as time goes by, the emotion that they cause kind of like dies down and you can remember it. And it's like that, nah, but doesn't impact you. I said, we can work on something like that, but not make you forget. If this person wanted to like wipe my memory clean. And I said, but why don't you, uh, why don't you tell me what's going on? And I, you could tell, again, this was something that th- this person was very hesitant to discuss and uh, I said was it something that happened to you and he's like eh. and I said okay well wh- what is it and he goes well it was something I saw and this was this 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 person didn't come in we just talked on the phone I mean he, he didn't come in for the session and basically he described Seeing something when he was driving along a road this was here in Florida uh, late one night and it was like again very uh, you know one of these lonely roads uh, you know wooded on either side and I, all I remember him telling me was I was driving down this road and I was being real careful because this area is known for having deer and the last thing I wanted was to have a deer spring out and run across a road and I hit it and then I mess up my car so he says I was really paying attention to the sides of the road because I didn't want to hit a deer and uh, basically what he described was that one of the times he's coming and he picks up um, he sees like a deer off on the I guess on the edge you know where the he says there was a, an area off the side of the road which is clear and then of course the wooded area starts and he sees a deer up on the side of the road and he says, "This headlights pick it up. And it's just looking, you know, like, you know, that typical saying, uh, deer in the headlights look. And he's like, he says, he's like starting to break because he's like, oh, this thing is going to jump out in the road right in front of my car. It's going to wait till I'm right there to do that. And then he says that all of a sudden he saw, he sees it dark, but then he sees something coming up behind it behind the deer chasing the deer b- come b- breaks out of the wood line and the deer like he realized at the moment that this thing the deer was running away from whatever this was so he says luckily i was i had a re- I, w- I already had my foot on the brake and he says that he would except for a, for a moment he thought it was a bear because it says when he, when it broke out of the wood line it was on all fours and he says he was like man that's but he says that he was surprised because of how fast it was moving he says i'm not that familiar with bears but man that thing was moving and then he says that the there was like an embankment to go up to where the road started and this deer like leaps like or bounds away and he says that when it comes up on the embankment, all of a sudden it straightens out and it's on two legs. And it looks at, you know, like turns and just keeps running. But he says that when it keeps running, it's on two legs. (laughs) And I remember when I'm hearing this, I'm thinking of this other gentleman It had already been a couple of years since I had had, he had, I had had that conversation with him. And he says, he goes, this, couldn't, it was, he says, it was, it happened very, very quickly. But at the same time, it felt like such a long time. And I said, why? Because you remember every detail, right? And he goes, yeah. And I can't forget it. And I want to forget it. And I can't, no matter how much I try. And I go, well, describe to me. And then he went on to describe something that looked very, what this guy was saying, like a dog man. He says he, because of the fur and because the headlights were really were shining on the road when it when it broke from the wood line he from the wooded area he couldn't really make it out he just thought it was like a big wolf bear well no he didn't say wolf i take that back he said it was like a bear he was thinking there's a bear running after a deer in the middle of the night well but when it came up the embankment and got on the road that it got on it was this is where his head lights were, were, were illuminating it and he says and it was it was no mistaking what i saw and he, he says that thing basically crossed the roads on two hind legs and then jumped off on the other side and then went back on all fours and kept going after the deer. And, and his description was dark, very similar to what that other man had told me. Dark fur, pointed ears, long, like, he made it sound, he says, well, if you look at those long-haired German shepherds, it had fur like that. It was, like, longish. Uh, but really, he was and broad. It was like, he's like, he says, this thing stopped a minute, like, on the road, on two-hand legs, looked, and then just kept going. And then when it just jumped off the onto the other side of the embankment, then went back down on all fours. And uh, he, he said it was, he says, I... his thing was he couldn't the same way i had never heard of dogman i don't think he had ever heard of the same the term in other words he wasn't out there looking to have the experience i don't think he was the way he described it familiar yeah you pe- you know you hear wolfman and yeah you you've seen movies but this for him this creature was strictly something that you see in horror movies period it's something only a Hollywood movie company will produce. Nothing, there's no bleed over into reality until that moment. And um, again, this, <laughs> this man said, I don't, I, I, he says, it, and it had this, I want to say by the time I spoke to him, he, I want to say had been like three or four months since he had had the experience. And um, and I think what what he couldn't get over was that the memory was as fresh as if the day after is what he was kind of telling me. Like, I can't get rid of this in my head. And I can't, it just, it's, you know, how it's memories after a while, certain memories, unless it's something they kind of start dimming or they don't become as significant, I think of it every day. I remember it like if it was happened to me yesterday and I don't want this. I want to forget it. And it was like, I can't, I am like I can't give you a solution to that. I said, you know, he kind of described the same thing of having problems. Um, I think the only thing for him that was better was that he had had this sighting in like in another state. It wasn't close to where he lived. It wasn't, but he just... You know he had he had had problems with sleep. He had gotten a little bit better, but I again he wanted to go back. I want to be the person I was, my reality before I saw this. He was profoundly affected by it, um, and again these are people that uh, like this other gentleman. They had they they, they had there was no mental illness no drug use no even legal you know that sometimes you will have certain drugs that even if they're prescribed will give you some type of side effects they they, they, none of them fell into this category they were normal everyday people with a very good grip on reality and things like this were make-believe this was the type of stuff like I said that you went to horror movies like he said, this is the this is something that you would see in a number one uh, premium production in Hollywood where he's like, wow, what a great effect FX that they got going on. He says there because, you know, he says there was this was not like a guy in a suit. It, it was there was no way it was. Um, how did he say something like it was too real not to be real? And, you know, we worked on the anxiety and I gave him again, I worked with him on falling asleep and we talked like one or two more times because I emailed him the, the MP3 file was like a little short and then, you know, we didn't talk anymore. And, uh, I, I don't know if he went on trying to find somebody to make him forget, um, because I... I had the feeling I got was that I don't think he was really ready to make peace with like, I have to live with this inside my head. Okay. Um, again, because it just, and like I said, I don't know what became of this person or whatever happened after that. And now I'll get to my, my one of my last stories, which was, this was <clears throat> a gentleman who came to me to stop smoking. And he was, I want to say, in his mid to late 50s or something like that. Bottom line, he had stopped smoking 35 years before because of hypnosis. And uh, one of the one of the originally when he came to me was to stop smoking. And one of the interviews that I had before I hypnotize anybody is like, well, you know, how old were you when you started smoking? And he's telling me he started smoking I was like 13 or 14, young teenager. And when he was in his twenty, he went to a hypnotist. And this guy had stopped smoking for 35 years. And then we get to the good part. What happened? Why are you smoking after 35 years of no smoking? And that's when we get... And he... I told him, I'm going to... And what this is one of the things, you know, that you tell a client. Um, you know, it's not like, oh... Um, in other words you know enough that for somebody that hasn't smoked for this period of time to start smoking it has to have been something significant but you're not you know nobody's no client is going to be forced to tell you the reason because it could be a host of personal reasons why they start smoking again you just know it's something and it's like i'm going to treat you for the smoking no matter what tell them look um if you want to tell me that's fine if not you know and you know we start discussing like how much are you smoking now and and this was just to determine there's different ways. And and the good thing about this client was that he had been hypnotized. He knew that it worked. So he was like ready to be on board with this. And I remember I, I uh, he was smoking more than a pack a day, which at that point, my first session with him was just to get him down to less than a pack a day. All right. And then we would take it from there, like to cut him down out totally. And, you know, I gave him some steps. So he had to come back for a second session is what my point is, which he did. And he, you know, he had done great. He had done great. And, you know, it was like one of those, like, you know, he had to come back a week later and he had done great. He was, he had cut down to the pack and he really, he really, really, really wanted not to smoke. He knew what it was like. And we had hit it off. He was a real nice gentleman. And I don't know. And I can't tell because that's that's happened to me with several clients where you earn the trust that you're, first of all, again, confidence, confidentiality, and that you're not going to go, huh? What? What's wrong with you? In other words, no judgment. Uh, And you're not going to tell me anything that I'm, I'm not going to wig out on you, basically, is what I try to impart to my clients you know I'm not gonna I don't want you to tell me anything you know that you don't want to but if your fear is that I'm unless you know and ethically and, and by law the only thing I could ever do is if he if I had a client say I'm threatening to kill somebody but or something like that or suicidal thoughts but even then you know anybody like that usually I wouldn't be working with them strictly they'd I'd be working with them as an adjunct if they were already with a mental health you know personnel but outside of that I'm not going to talk about anything and anyway around this time is when he that second session I remember after we did the second session he finally got around to tell me what had happened and this was of course I was living in Miami and he was he was living in like in Miami but the northern area and I this point I don't remember where he had this was Another gentleman that he had gone off hunting and I can't remember if it was in Florida or if it was out of the state of Florida where he had gone hunting. But I do remember that, I th- that he had gone, uh, his son, it was like a family with friends. One of these all guys thing were going out there to hunt something somewhere. And he says that he wasn't so much into hunting, but he really wanted to spend time with his son, which by the way, his son was an adult already but he wanted to spend time with his son and he went along as I'm going to be the hunting groups cook. Because apparently this guy was like a real good, you know, he was into the cook thing and they were going to go like hunting and fishing. And he was like, Hey, I'll cook whatever you guys bring in. You know, if you bring up fish, I'll cook. So he was going to be the, uh, cook guy for the trip. He says, I, I really, the, the hunt thing. That's not my, that wasn't what I was into. I just wanted to spend time with my son and, uh, you know hang out and just keep the, the campsite because again these guys would go off and do their thing. so it was like a multiple day kind of deal where they were going to on this hunting expedition and um, he told me that one time he got uh, they, it was he says that it, they had left from what if, if I remember correctly, they had he says that they had been there a couple of days and he says that he had always been a light sleeper and he says that he kept hearing noises because he says that they were really close to water i, th- I think it was like a lake or something was close by because i was even fishing they were fishing and he kept hearing noises around the outskirts of where they had their tents pitched and he mentioned it to his son and it sounds like dad you know what there's a million creatures out there yeah i know of course they're they're you know they're gonna come around there's close to water and they smell everything don't worry about it but he said he kept having this like man this is not like you know this is like and he he says that he he would hear this whatever it was circling around but he he said you know what and then he says one one time they had all left, the guys that were going to go hunting had left like at four or five in the morning, something like, it was way pre-dawn, but they had gone off and he was the only one that was left in the campground, like in the camping area, whatever, and that they had all left. And, but he stayed in his tent and he says it was still dark. And he says that he had kind of like, drifted off to kind of like to sleep like oh and he says that all of a sudden he hears something or somebody walking around in amongst the tents that they had left pitched and he says that his first thing was he thought one of these guys had come back but he says normally you know they he says that they would horse around and go hey make some coffee where's the food where's the chow hey cook you know and he says that all he hears is somebody walking in the around he goes and i could tell that it was like like bipedal footsteps and he says i he says even now i don't know what made me just stay quiet he says because for a moment i was going to say hey which who is it which one of you guys forgot something somebody needs to be back. And he says, I don't know at that moment, something told me, shut up, shut up and don't make a sound. And he said that he heard whatever it was and even go down a little bit, like I guess they were very close to the water, splash around a little bit on the shore of where the water was. And he says that when he heard it go further away, like, and he heard like a little bit of the splashing of the water, He says that he, like, um, he says the only thing I could think of was I lifted the tent flap a little. He says I was like, he says I was sleeping on my stomach and I lifted it up just a little so I could look underneath it because he said he did have a firearm with him, but he was like, okay. You know, he says, I don't think it was. He says, it wasn't making any weird noise, like an animal, like a bear, snuffling, nothing like that. So he says that, he says he like peeked underneath and they had left a couple of those lights, I guess those campfire lights, I don't know, whatever. Not campfire lights, I guess those little lanterns or whatever. So he says he had a little bit of ambient light, but he says that all of a sudden he says the, out of the, like, the shadows that led down to the shore of the water, he says he saw this shadow, very tall shadow coming up back into the campsite. And he says that he looked at it and it was, you know, I'm, when he's describing it, I'm like, you too? And he, again, he's describing something very similar to what these other men had described a very tall, wolf-like, he says, he, it was, he, he, he almost, the details were very similar. Tall, broad, longish fur, dark, longish fur, pointed ears, snout, um, long arms, and of course, what wigs all of them out, which is bipedal, on two legs. He says that when he saw that, he says at that moment I was afraid that it was going to see me see it. It was almost like if he says I felt like a little kid. He says you know when you're a kid and you put the blankets over your head because if you can't see it it doesn't see you. He says he says that's what I regressed to. He says I became a little kid. He says I let this f- that that flap of the tent just let go. I let go of it with my fingers. And it closed back because I was afraid of, we would have a meeting of eyes. But as he says, it came up from the lake shore. It stood there. And he says, it was like looking around. And he says, I was afraid that it was going to look towards where I was looking at it. And we were going to meet. And then I didn't know what I was going to do. He says I don't know what I was going to do. And he says that this was like the day before they were set to leave. Either that day or the day after. I think this was like going to be their last day. And he says then he heard it circle around once and then just go off into the woods. And he was telling me that he lay there. He says he didn't leave the tent till, he says it was like that happened like about an hour before daybreak. And um, he, he says that when they came back and everybody, he says he was, he didn't tell any of them, any of these other guys, what was going on. And all they'd say is like, "What's?" They were like noticing, like, "What's what's wrong with you? Why are you so quiet?" What, he says because he was always joking around with all of them, and he he says part of me wanted to like get in that truck and like go racing out of there. I wanted to leave, and but then the other part of me, I felt bad because these guys were having a great time, and then another part of me was thinking, "What if I don't tell them anything?" and Something happens to them because I didn't tell them because he, again, he was what, one of these, I don't want to believe I saw what I saw, but I know it's what I saw. It's the reality. So he says that it like towards around the evening, finally, his son took him and says, okay, you need to tell me what's wrong with you. What is going on? You, you look like you jump at every noise. Uh, one of us guys, you know, any what is going on? And he says he took a son and he told him, he told him, this is what I saw. And he says that his son said, it says his son didn't say anything at all. Like when he was telling him the story and he said, just wait, wait a minute here, dad. And he says he went and he got this other guy that was in the group that was an older guy. Apparently that he lived in that area and he brought him over and he says, I want you to tell him what you just told me. And he told the guy and he says, he goes, I was so scared at that point that, that if any of them, if any, my, whether my son or the other guy would have broken out laughing, I wouldn't have cared because I was so scared that it didn't matter. It was like, okay, you can laugh. I don't care. And that the guy said, he says that the guy said, looked at him and said, I know what you're talking about because I've seen it, but I just didn't see it here. And he says, he looked at the guy like, huh? He goes, yeah, I saw something. It was, he goes, it was, it was apparently in the same general area, but a few miles away, like. And he says that this guy turned to his son. He said, look, I suggest, I know we we're supposed to leave tomorrow morning. I think we should pack up and leave now. I know that everybody was going to do something. And we got, he says, we need to get out of here. This and his son was like what 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 do you mean because his son was like I guess his son had heard when he told him some stories but had never had somebody to actually tell him yeah what your dad's describing I've seen it and that he says that uh the other guys were like hey but this other guy says we're leaving I just and they they were like and he says that everybody anyway was like at the end of the trip and they were like okay yeah so we're gonna leave a few hours earlier fine okay so they were good with doing that and that's what ended up happening. They all left. And same thing, this man could not handle it. He started smoking again. He says he, you know, he made his son promise, swear that he was never going to go back hunting over there in that area. He wanted to make him go, say, you're not going to go hunting. But he says his son apparently was into hunting. And all he got out of him was like, you promise me you are never going to back, go back over there to hunt, to camp, to anything. And his son was like, okay, don't worry about that. But he came back to Florida and same thing. He had taken up smoking. He didn't know how to handle it. He didn't know what to do. He, and he even told me, he says, I'm worried. He says, I'm worried about what I saw, but I'm worried because I know my son goes hunting a lot. What if something happens? He was going into this because he knew his, you know, his son would go out into this, you know, remote areas with his friends or whatever. And he was like, and um, at that point, I told him, I I can't tell you who. And I really cannot give you more details than what I'm going to give you, which is I've had other people tell me that they saw what you said, what you just described right now. The look of relief on this man's face was so apparent so visible that you know like when you know you know that saying when people say oh they took this weight off my shoulders this that's what this man like almost like i want to say his frame like sagged a little bit like oh and he goes you have people have told you this i said yeah i said different circumstances um same thing not not looking for not expecting it People who are got a good grip on reality, like you do, who found themselves seeing something that they did not believe was part of this reality, and they had a hard time coming to terms with it just like you are. And you know, the conversation took on, but this thing, it's because, and one of the things I want to say that's in common with all these people that, that they feel this sense of isolation. I can't tell anybody. Uh, Part of it is, of course, ridicule or that talking about it makes it more real. Uh, A lot of isolation, they keep it to themselves. And when they hear somebody else has had that same scenario occur to them, the same circumstances as in an unexpected sighting in the most unexpected moment, it's almost like okay, I'm not this one person that the universe picked on to show me this. And I said, uh, I'm going to tell you what I told these other clients: I don't have an answer for you. You know, uh, you've. I doubt very much that somebody in in uh, in a costume is going to be tramping around in the middle of the woods in the middle of nowhere, goes the no way goes. And I'm going to ask you what I asked them, because. Everybody's familiar with Bigfoot. Could this And he goes, nope. He goes, this was no Bigfoot. This was not Bigfoot. I know what Bigfoot looks like because you see it all over the place. This was not Bigfoot. He says, I think I would have wigged out if it was a Bigfoot. He says, I don't know if I could have handled it, but I don't think I would have been as scared as I was or I am because of what I saw. Because what I looked at was something that was the top of the food chain predator this thing was it was something that you could tell existed to prey and a carnivore of the highest you know this was a hunting machine and he says i knew at that moment which is why i was afraid that um i'm not gonna say it was there for us but that uh this thing existed to hunt and I was like okay so now that we've gotten that out of the way anyway and he says and I you know and you know we talked about relaxation and I did a recording for him and you know and of course he was believe it or not in the midst of all of this he was concerned that he had taken up smoking after 35 years Uh, and you know we worked on that and you know we had a couple more sessions and you know then people carry on with their lives and Like, you know, him, I, I, you know, because people are not supposed to come for hypnosis forever and ever. He had, he did, was able to stop the smoking, you know, and, um, and, uh, you know, I gave him the recordings to help with his, with the relaxation and in, in, like, on a day to day thing, on a day to day thing. And again, part of it, like I say, said before, was his worry, not only for himself, but for his son, because now it was, tenfold, a hundredfold, what normally his concern would be that my son's going to like, yeah, be careful was because now and uh, I told him, I said, you know and, and I suggested to him, I said, you know why don't you see if you could talk to this friend of your son's that said that they had a side and want, you know maybe you need to talk to somebody else and you could cross reference and he was like, yeah, you know, that sounds like maybe, Just because back at that moment I really didn't want to talk about it almost, it was like uh, I said, well, if you were up to it, why don't you do it? You know, maybe it'll fill in some of the blanks. And again, you know, I lost touch with this client. But anyway, those are one of uh, some of the most well-known stories that I've heard of. When I say well-known as in well-known what they saw, that there was no maybe it could have been this, or no, maybe it could have been that. No, these people were very, very clear what they saw. That um, that they had no, well, it was shadowy, it was dark, it could have been this. Unfortunately, as a matter of fact, the details were so sharp that they wished that it wasn't. So again, those are my Dog Man stories. And uh, if you have any questions, just email me. And I will be having other interesting guests I've had. Some requests for people having to uh, bring in stories about Bigfoot and other cryptids. Let's see if we can dig some up and I'll bring some guests on. But again, if you have any questions, go ahead and email me at Marlene at Miami And also, another interesting thing um, as a matter of fact, two of my novels that I wrote, uh, Walker Between the Worlds and Diabolique, I inserted Dogmen in there because of these stories that I'd heard many, 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 many years ago. Uh, about these experiences that real people had had with what now are terms dogmen. So again, guys, thanks for being part of my audience and take care. Talk to you soon.